to be a good coach, uh, anybody learns as you're coaching that uh, whatever we decide is whatever we're behind. I mean, we're all behind, you know. So we might not be me, <laughs> you know. I might be an assistant coach, but and, and whoever makes the final decision, then whether it's whether it's a, a part part of coaching, or whether what it's drills we do, whether it's drafting, whatever it is, when we finally decide, you know, what we want done, and we think this is this is the right thing, then we're all behind it. Hello, and welcome to the Up Close In Personnel podcast with Alex Brown. I'm your host, Alex Brown, Director of Recruiting with Rice. Today is day one of the 2021 NFL Draft, and we are joined by none other than the great Wade Phillips, one of the best defensive coaches in NFL history, in my opinion. Hearing him talk about his relationships with his dad, his son, different coaches in the game, his players, just how he approaches life in general. It was so refreshing. It was great. I had a chance to meet Coach Phillips when he came and did a clinic talk at University of Houston, a place that's near and dear to him, a place that we discussed a little bit, and also had a chance to meet him at a spring practice. He came out, socially distanced, came to our, our open spring practice, and just a, an awesome person, very humble, down to earth, appreciate his time, Coach Calhoun on our staff, our defensive line coach, interned with him, did two summers, uh, minority internships with the San Diego Chargers. So shout out Coach Calhoun for setting this up and making it happen. Just going by the numbers, Wade Phillips coached 42 years in the league, won over 350 games, had mentors like Bum Phillips, his dad, Dan Reeves, Buddy Ryan, the late Marty Schottenheimer, Gary Kubiak, mentored Jim Fossil, Jason Garrett, the late Tony Sperano, Todd Bowles, talking about AP Defensive Players of the Year in terms of Bruce Smith, J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald twice, Reggie White, the list goes on and on. DeMarcus Ware, 10 finishes inside the top 10 in the NFL for points allowed, 19 inside the top 10 for yards. I mean, one of the greats. So he's got a podcast coming soon. He's joining the podcast space with his son. It's called Overtime with Wade and Wes Phillips. And his daughter's also in on the venture. So we talk about that a little bit. And you better be following Coach Phillips on Twitter as he'll be releasing those episodes. He said he's recorded 15 of them so far. He'll be releasing those soon. So follow Coach Phillips at Son of Bum on Twitter. And from a topic standpoint, we talked about how he sustained his success for such a long period of time, how he approaches players, scheme, and the involvement of coaches in the NFL draft process. We've talked a lot from the recruiting side. We've talked a lot from the scouting side. Now we bring in a head coach and the convergence of coaches and scouts in the draft meetings. So what is the right mix of scout versus coach in the decision-making process? What all is on a coach's plate when they're transitioning from the end of the season to the pre-draft process in terms of evaluating players and evaluating your own team? How do you weight the different pieces of information that you're dealing with in this draft evaluation from film to workouts to interviews to combine? We get behind the scenes on conversations that occurred way back when and even talk about the J.J. Watt pick. So 
There's so much insight from this episode. I'm excited to bring it to y'all. And again, he's just a great dude, very humble, down to earth. Appreciate his time. Before we get started, got to give a shout out to our sponsor, War Room. War Room is the all-in-one platform that will take your recruiting and team management to the next level. Used by teams in every Power 5 conference all the way down to the high school level. They've got packages to put you in the best position to stay organized, stay ahead of the game, be prepared for things coming down the pike, build out your recruiting boards, build out operational logistics, whatever the case may be, contact Moose Bingham and War Room. Moose is available. His cell phone is 801-808-7754. And you can check out collegewarroom.com to get a free demo today. And with all that being said, let's now switch gears to my conversation with Coach Wade Phillips. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. Coach Phillips. I, I should say Coach Wade from the way you like your players to address you. So how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Coach Wade, it's been uh, awesome to bump into you in a couple of different scenarios, right? Like we first met, you did a, a clinic at, at U of H, a place that's near and dear to your heart and a place that I worked at for a long time. And then you made a trip out to Rice for, for a spring practice just recently. But, um, you know, for this podcast, uh, you know, I really – I bring on all different types of people, scouts, personnel people, recruiters, and coaches. And you're just somebody that, one, I've had a huge amount of respect for growing up in Dallas and seeing you handle that scenario. But um, just seeing you be successful for all those years and then bumping into you and you're just such a humble, down-to-earth guy. I wanted to start off with how were you able to really be so successful over such a long period of time? Because we could get into the details of the defense. I don't really want to get into that because you've talked about your defense, the three forward, all those things on a million podcasts. I'm, I'm curious about you as the person managing this type of industry and you saw your dad do it, but how were you able to su sustain that success for over 40 years? Uh, wow. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> when I look back at it, yeah, it's amazing, especially of course, I had to do it a lot of different places, you know, as far as coaching goes. But um, I don't know. I think being consistent, like you do in any any business or whatever, you uh, you know, you try to be consistent. Certainly, you have to be successful um, at what you do to a certain extent. Um, uh, you know, my forte is defense, and so uh, you know, I've concentrated on that and tried to improve it. Uh, improve how I taught it. And then coaching, you know, coaching is teaching. So uh, being able to teach players, uh, first help them get better, but but teach the defense and for them not to make mistakes um, because mistakes get you beat. So, um, you know, having a teaching progression, I think has, has really helped. Uh, you know, everybody's got a scheme, three, four, four, three, uh, Tampa two, whatever. Uh, but uh, being able to adjust uh, with the players you have within that scheme, uh, I think has been the key to, to 
longevity, really, because uh, you have to utilize the ability the players have. And uh, I thought we did that uh, pretty well over the years. Was that something that you saw your dad do early? Because the the way I, I've, I've done just research and I wasn't alive during the time, but just just the the way you guys started the the odd front kind of movement with the Oilers, and obviously he had a lot of success. And you're around guys like Buddy Ryan. Um, who would you say you took that that philosophy from, as far as figure out what the player can do and put him in those positions to succeed, then build the scheme around it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to. Uh... I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I just always thought that I coached in high school, um, you know, and, and whoever you got, I mean, you got, so you had to, you know, you, you had to get them better somehow and you had to fit them in. Um, you know, I was influenced by, by uh, a guy named Neil Morgan that I first worked for, um, in that way. And I, I always thought that I always thought, cause I wasn't a great player, you know, and uh, so I had to know what to do and I had to, you know, not make any mistakes and uh, had to utilize what ability I had, uh, you know, whether to play closer or further away from the line of scrimmage or certain formations to adjust to and things like that. Um, I don't know. I just always thought, you know, hey, there's techniques, you know, people talk about techniques, but it's really how the, the player that you have what technique he can play because all of us have an A gap or a B gap or coverage, uh, you know, man to man or outside technique or coverage or inside technique, or all those things. But it's the player. Uh, I always found out it's the player, how he can, how he can utilize uh, his physical ability first uh, to a greater extent, you know, and I, I I've always, I don't know. I've always thought of that and, and tried to utilize it when I had the opportunity to be in charge, you know, be a defensive coordinator. Right. And I've, I've heard you use the examples of Quentin Jammer and, you know, playing him at the line of scrimmage and J.J. Watt, you know, you, you hadn't been accustomed to letting guys run around blocks and you're like, hey, well, he makes a lot of plays. Um, are there any other examples of, of guys that just stick out in your mind of like, Hey, he did this really well, and this changed the way I I approached it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I do that with all of, everywhere I've been is is you know what this guy can do and how how he can play it, uh, and if that's different than what our scheme says, you know, what what we think the technique should be, uh, I I really. The example is really, you know, the nose guard. We we played an offset nose a lot, you know, and and he has a gap strong, okay. And I've had guys, I had a guy named Greg Cragen who was a pro bowler at Denver, and he wasn't very big, and so we stunned him to the a gap. We used his quickness, uh, you know, to play the a gap. And I had a guy named Ted Washington who was about three hundred forty pounds. We played him in the middle of the center and said, hey, you got the A-gap on the left side, you know, or the right side, whichever one. But that's how he could play it because he didn't have quick feet, but he was huge and he was powerful and he could almost really could two-gap a guy 
and play that A gap. And then, then I had a guy named Jamal Williams with San Diego when they were in San Diego with the Chargers. He was a Pro Bowl nose guard, but he was he had tremendous uh, lower body strength, and he could knock the center, turn the center in the A gap. So we all set him and turned the center with him, you know, and and he just knocked him back, and so. Uh, that killed the zone screen schemes, you know, that they're running, still running today. The, the Shanahan uh, stuff in Denver, we stuffed their, their, they led the league in rushing almost every year, and we held them under 100 yards almost every game. So, um, and it was a lot because of the nose guard could knock the center back the way he could. So it's just utilizing what they can do. All of them had, all of them had the same assignment. That's, that's the key, really. Whatever the assignment is, you figure out how they can play it best by their body type, their their uh, physical ability, and then you let them play it that way. It, it's not it's not all of you play this way because of so and so you know played that way uh, because one of some of you are tall, some of you are short, some of you are quick, some of you are slow footed. I mean, you get all those players and you say all of you play it the same way. That doesn't make any sense to me. All of you play that the same way, and all, all of you are different. So utilize what they have to play their assignment, you know, and that's uh, that's coverage-wise, that's, uh, you know, that's anything in, you know, on defense. Yeah, it's like uh, Jay Ratliff being being one of those oh, yeah. stunting guys for you. Oh, yeah. Jay Jay was the same way. We used him like Craig and Jay. Um, uh, we utilized his quickness, and that's – and. Yeah, and when I first got got to Dallas, <laughs> I probably did him a disservice because uh, I was looking at the players we had, and we had some good defensive linemen. I said, I, I went to Jerry Jones. I said, I think this that's going to be the best, best player we have on, on, the, on the front. So they re-signed him, you know. <laughs> they signed him, and he hadn't done anything yet, and then he made the Pro Bowl, you know. Maybe later on he made his money, but I think I, think I cost him a little bit there. No, this is awesome stuff. We're 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 jumping right into it. Uh, taking a quick step back, um, having been at UH, I've I've got a, a pretty decent feel of of their their history. And Coach Yeoman, you know, you know, rest his soul, you know, one of the greats in college football. And he was always around the building. He was always you know checking in on the staff and just touching base with the program. He's always dialed in. And you, your dad coached with him. You had a chance to play for him. What was it like uh, in those days? You know, you were a record holder for until what, three, four years ago in, in assisted tackles and fumbles. But yeah. what was it like playing for him? Yeah, I mean, it was a great time in U of H. We, the, uh, the Astrodome now, who, <laughs> who is not used with the eighth wonder of the world. I mean, it was a, Nobody knew. Nobody knew that anybody could have a, a building like that that was indoors that you could play football and baseball and all that. And so uh, that was an exciting time. And then Uni- University of Houston was uh, just coming on uh, as a as a powerhouse, really, with Coach Yeoman. And of course, the invention of the beer, you know, was was uh, phenomenal. I mean, you know, it's it's still used. I mean, the beer blocking. Houston beer, uh, the Yeoman beer, really took over football, certainly, for and went into the wishbone, went into 
Um, and it's still, it's, they don't call it veer blocking nowadays, but, but it's still all the open uh, four wide receiver offenses offset. They're still veer blocking and uh, leaving a guy unblocked and the quarterback's reading it and running with it or handing it off. I and mean, it's the same, same scheme that was never used before that and was used, you know, at, uh, since then, you know, and, and will continue that way, it looks like. And one-on-one, -on -one, Warren McVay versus Wade Phillips, did, did that happen a lot? Because uh, he, he was one of the greats. Y'all crossed over, correct? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was ahead of me, but uh, I came in. Uh, now, I had seen – I mean, Warren McVay, I don't – you know, at that time, Warren McVay was uh, phenomenal in high school. I mean, he scored 30 points a game in high school. Everybody in the state – knew about Warren McVeigh. I'm talking about football players. And I was in high school. He was he was in high, his senior year. And uh, they ran they played the playoff game and it was 49 to 42, I believe. And uh, they lost in the semifinals, but 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 he scored all 42 points. And uh, I mean the the games in those days were you know 13 to 10, you know. <laughs> and, <laughs> Uh, they didn't have any defense at Brackenridge where he was, but they, but they had one player that was something, and 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 that film, uh, and you know, in those, in those days of film, we I was in high school and we got the film and watched it. You know, I'm talking about my dad and I got to watch it with him. Uh, they passed around the film of that game and Warren McVeigh and what a, and then the the the. Uh, uh, high school all-star game sold out 50,000 or 60,000, whatever it was to see Warren McVay. I mean, this was, uh, you know, football is big in Texas, obviously, but I mean, he was the biggest thing in Texas. He was, he was a state champion in the hundred. It was a hundred yard, a hundred, uh, it wasn't a hundred meters, hundred yards in those days, but he was a state champion and ran the fastest in the state. Uh, so he was, uh, and he could outrun everybody. He was a great open field runner. And, uh, you know, it, everybody knew about him, you know. And so, uh, of course, Coach Coach Elman recruited him, which was different for any any school in, in uh, Texas at that time because they didn't recruit African-American players. So, uh, uh, so that was uh, – that was special too, you know. And so, yeah, he, he was – he was – he had grace. Now he, I think each step, he, he I don't want to say he got worse, but I mean, he was 165 pounds in high school and, you know, five, eight or nine, whatever. And then in college, he was 170 pounds and five, eight or nine and still fast. And then pros, he was five, eight, you know, five, nine, 160, 70 pounds. So uh, each step, you know, was harder for him to, to, uh, Physically, I guess, you know, I mean, he was an okay pro, pro player. He was a good college player. He was a great, the greatest probably high school player. Yeah. Because he was everybody and, and could utilize all that ability. Did seeing that like when, as a, as a young player going into, you know, you finish and then you go into coaching, you know, seeing, you know, Coach Yeoman in, in that situation and then your dad drafting Earl Campbell and, calling him his son and he's basically a part of your family and just that personal kind of 
side to coaching and, and the relationships? Did that, that really impact the way you approached it? Cause I know you're big on, I'm not going to manage my players. I'm going to work with them. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, people. I mean, it's about people, you know, coaching's about people. Life's about people, you know, it's not about um, really, I, I don't know. It's about, I mean, I think you influence people in certain ways, especially coaches. I mean, you know, that that's the great thing about high school coaching is you influence young people, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a, I mean, life is about people and, and enjoying to enjoy life. I think you have to, that's gotta be a big part of it. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's part of what we do and, and what we enjoy. And that's why we get married and, uh, have kids. And I mean, you know, that's, uh, uh that's just life and, and meeting people and, and enjoying life and enjoying people. Yeah. And you know, that, that special, you know, father-son relationship, like for those that are listening to the show that haven't, um, definitely go check out Son of Bum, the, the book you wrote, you know, about you and your dad and lessons learned. But you know, a lot of people ask you questions about your dad and rightfully so, because he's, he's one of the great coaches of all time. Um, but you and your son are going to be doing a podcast. And how, how much did you, like of the lessons you learned from with being with your dad, playing for him, coaching with him, and then, you know, being on your own has translated into the way like you, you parented and, and the way that you told Wes, hey, uh, if you can live without this, choose that path. But if you can't, then then go down the coaching route. Yeah, I mean, that's what I learned that from my dad, really. So, I mean, that's and uh, that's why we're a coaching family, I guess, because we, we decided to do, you know, we decided we love football. And I think part of that was. Um, me seeing my dad certainly enjoying what he did and loving what he did and seeing the not the money part because he you know he didn't make money until he was coaching in pro football but I mean he coached in high school and I saw him we weren't making a lot of money it wasn't like he was rich or anything but it was uh he was rich and and enjoying football and and that life and and I saw that and want to emulate that. And I think Wes did the same thing, you know, so, uh, and it's just like the players. I mean, you say, boy, they go out and they play for money, but they, they're just like high school players before the game, college players, high school pros. They're all the same before the game. They're all excited about the game and they want to go out and play. And that, that thing carries, you know, carries over. And that's that's the neat thing about it. They're not thinking about the money or or any of that stuff. I know they get paid a lot, but but they're all excited about going out and playing football for the base. And they started the same way, just for the love of football. And the coaching has been the same for us. Yeah. And you know, this week is is draft week. Um, big big, you know, weekend for for a lot of guys. And, and for a lot of teams, right? Like this is, this is where championships are built. Um, you know, I've heard you talk about planning for the Super Bowl, and you're like, look, you got to get that all done the week before you even get out there because you're just going to be so busy with all the extra hoopla and the noise and the media. Um, it's very much the same way in the draft. I mean, you have these, these draft meetings, you know, months leading into it you've already hashed out these scenarios. 
I really wanted to ask you because you bring such a, a unique perspective of having been a position coach, a DC and a head coach for, you know, double digit NFL, you know, situations. So you've seen a lot of different scenarios as far as the GM and the head coach relationship. The, the one guy that I've heard you, you know, mention a lot is John Butler with the Bills um, and, and just the importance of working together and trust, trust of opinion and the back and forth dialogue. Could you break down really the, the relationship between the coaching staff and the front office and maybe describing that, that bill situation that, that you've talked about before where, you know, it's kind of the best of both. Yeah. It's um, when I was with Buffalo, I was the, the head coach and vice president of football operations. And that uh, uh, Ralph Wilson, the owner, wanted to make sure that I didn't have to, that I was on equal basis with the general manager. Now, you know, overall, the league wants coaches to coach and administrators or, or draft people to do the drafting. So it's not the same everywhere. Um, you know, a lot of coaches don't have hardly any input into the draft or have, I'd say hardly any, they have a lot, but, but they don't make the final decision. And uh, so I was lucky enough to, to be in a situation in Buffalo where, um, you know, we were equal basically. And so we had to work it out, which I thought was even better. We had to work out, Hey, you know, I like this guy and I like that guy and let's talk about it and what's best for our team and so forth. And John was great with that. So, John Butler was great with that. So, uh, and we had some good drafts there because of it, I think. But, but, uh, but it's different in different places. And like I say, overall, they want they I say the league wants uh, wants the general managers, I guess, to to be the you know the guys that that uh, make the decision as far as draft and and players and the coaches just coaching. But uh, I always thought you know coaches have a lot of insight and. In, as to what kind of players they need. And now some coaches, now that that's another thing you have to do is some coaches are really good at it, good at it. And some coaches aren't. I'm talking about on your staff or even the head coach. Some of them are good at, you know, uh, an, analyzing college players and some aren't. So whoever's, whoever's in charge of it has to realize that and, and take those opinions the right way. Uh, so uh, whoever's in charge, but I, I, a lot of places, I think it's the general manager. Yeah. And I think what, what gets lost in the shuffle is kind of the, the convergence of so many different factors, right? Because you've got free agency, you've got, you know, kind of your after action review of the past season, you know, your cut-ups, player eval meetings, and then guys coming back in for, for off season. In addition to the draft, and, right. and and managing all those things. So can you, can you kind of give us a little more insight on like the day-to-day -day for a head coach when you're making that transition from end of the season to draft focus and, and really building the roster? Well, it's, it's tough on coaches overall. I mean, uh, you know, once the, once the season's over, yeah, you've got to do all those things you said and we've got to evaluate what we did last year, evaluate all our players and who we have. Uh, and then get ready for the draft. Well, getting ready for the draft is just like you said. Um, you 
the scouts have been doing that all year. They've been doing it the whole year. And the coaches have to catch up. You have to watch, uh, you know, as much film as, as the as the scout did, you know. And he's on the road the whole time uh, doing that stuff. So uh, uh, you look at a lot of players and, like I say, evaluate a lot of players, um, you know, after the season's over along with evaluating your own players. And I think you get a pretty good perspective that way. You, you see what you have, see what you need, and you're seeing these young players. Now, whether you can evaluate that well is not always the case. Like I say, I've been around some coaches that were great coaches, great teachers, but they weren't real good at analyzing, you know, who was going to be a good player. Or even when they had one, they just – you just if you gave them a good player, they could coach him really well. If you gave them a good player or a bad player, obviously he wasn't going to play very well anyway. But they, uh, it's not always coaching that makes a difference. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, getting the good players. And so we all know that, but, but not everybody can analyze that. How do you navigate those difference of opinions? Because you're kind of in a, in a, stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Because you're a head coach and, and you really take pride in, in your ability to evaluate and, and having that 50-50 split. But then at the same time, you recognize that maybe one of your coaches isn't that great of an evaluator. In those draft meetings, um, you know, how do you, how do you navigate those, those discussions as a head coach? Well, you, get, you get let everybody have their opinion, certainly. And then uh, whoever and, – and in coaching, uh, to be a good coach, uh, anybody learns as you're coaching that uh, – whatever we decide is whatever we're behind. I mean, we're all behind, you know, so we might not be me, <laughs> you know, I might be an assistant coach, but, and, and whoever makes the final decision, then whether it's, whether it's a, a part, part of coaching or whether, what it's drills we do, whether it's drafting, whatever it is, when we finally decide, you know, what we want done and we think this is, this is the right thing, then we're all behind it. Because there's a lot of ways to do things, a lot of ways to win. There's a lot of ways to do it. Uh, you got to have some guidance and you have somebody that uh, points you in the right direction or picks the player or doesn't pick the player for you. So uh, it's, it's still about, uh, because like I say, I, it doesn't matter what defense, sometimes it's how you get the players to play. So um, I think it's important that we, we all learn that, hey, uh, and I'm talking about anybody that's not in charge that, that, Hey, I'm going to give my opinion and I'm, you know, I, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to fight for whatever I think is what I, whatever I believe is the best player or the best way to do things. But if somebody else above me decides that's not it, then I'm going to, I'm going to do it the way they, they think it's right. Right. And as you're going through that, I mean, there's, there's so many, there's so many different data points and different uh, steps of evaluating, right? It's not just the film, it's the pro day, it's the combine, not just the combine, but the combine really breaks into like three parts, the, the medical, the interviews, the on-field, and then the team visits where you're having those interviews with those players that are a little more in depth. But how do you weight those different kind of evaluation segments through that process? Well, uh, I've always, I've always looked at the film and see what kind of player he is. I mean, uh, 
you know, I think you can tell more by the film. And especially the, these days, the way the agents do with players. I mean, they have them ready for these interviews. I mean, they know the right answers. They've been, uh, you know, they want, they want to tell you what you want to hear, you know, basically. And, and some agents are really good at getting players to do that. I think you can certainly find out something. We always talked about them, about how much football knowledge they do, knew, and I thought that was important. Uh, my dad always wanted to know from the scout, which I think is really important, is, is how the guy practiced, what kind of practice guy he was. He was a hard worker, you know, that kind of thing. That that went a lot of way, uh, a lot with uh, with my dad's evaluation from the scout. He wanted, he could watch the film and see what they did, but he wanted to know whether they're going to try to improve. What you know, if they had that, I don't know if it's hard or whatever it is that makes them want to be better, you know, and they work hard at it. So uh, there's a lot that goes into it, certainly. What's the one thing out of practice that just drove you crazy? Is there is there one thing? Is it is it running on and off the field? Is it pursuing the ball? Like obviously practice habits include a lot of things, um, from sloppy technique to bad eyes to you know not paying attention when you're at the back of the line. Um, like what, what were the things that drove you crazy as a coach? Uh, well, I mean, I think the first thing you have to have is effort. You know. And people don't know how to teach effort. <laughs> they just think guys, some guys play hard and some guys don't. Uh, so we've always tried to teach effort. And I think and I learned that way back with, and I've told the story a bunch of times about Robert Brazil, who, I, who the first guy I coached in, in the NFL who is in the Hall of Fame now. And he gave more effort than anybody I'd ever seen. So, uh, you know, I asked Robert how he did that because I was just coming into pro football. I said, how'd you do that? And he said, Coach, I practice that. And I learned that you can practice effort. You can teach effort. And uh, and so it didn't bother me because we, we taught that. And we, we uh, you know, if a guy, guy starts running, he's chasing the ball, he starts running faster, you know, speed up, then he wasn't running full speed. You know, so, so you can – you can qualify or quantify, you know, effort. And uh, and like I say, I wasn't a great player. I, I thought I probably wasn't, probably didn't give the effort that I thought I did because most people don't. Most people don't know they're not giving a great effort. And once you teach them that, uh, they can give better effort. So that makes, to me, that makes you a better football player and it makes you a better team. If you can just do that, if you can teach them to, to give more effort and it, it's a and it's a way of teaching it, and it's a way of evaluating it that we've always done. I think it's helped us have better teams. Yeah, and Robert Brazil is kind of like the Von Miller and Demarcus Ware before those yeah. guys even existed. Oh yeah, yeah. Robert was was a great athlete, but but uh, he did he he not worked harder, but he he learned to to give more effort. Any drill that we did where you had to give full speed effort, he went full speed. And full speed is different than what people think. And then he did it, just like all the great ones I've been around, he did it on his own too. When we were when we were having what they call seven on seven drills, you know, you know, middle drill or whatever that, uh, he would come in and pray you didn't have a free safety, 
he would line up at free safety and chase the ball. You know, I mean, he just did it on his own. Uh, so, uh, you know, th that impressed me. You know, that impressed me about somebody that, that was willing to do more. And I think that's really the, the thing behind it is teach them to be willing to do more than they would do, you know, so. Yeah, I'm just taking notes because this is really good stuff. Um, the thing that stood out when I, I, I really, I wanted to kind of dive into how you got the most out of guys. And there's a quote that stuck out to me. It said, you said this, I want them to have personalities. A lot of them are really good because of their personalities. They're confident in themselves. Can you speak to that? And, you know, whether it's Akib Talib or Marcus Peters or, I mean, you were the head coach of the Cowboys when you all had T.O. Um, you've dealt with these, these big personalities and gotten the most out of them. Um, can you talk about your relationship with your players and, and allowing guys to be themselves? Yeah, I mean, it's part of the people equation, I guess. I mean, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I found that, you know, a lot of those guys, I mean, they have – Maybe it's confidence, but but they have big personalities, but they have a lot of confidence in what they do, and that that carries over to how they play, you know. And so, um, you know, you let everybody be themselves, certainly, and uh, uh, and you get more out of people if you let them be themselves, and instead of molding them into something that you want them to be. Uh, I'm talking about personality-wise, and uh, you know, you can't say a word or you can't do this. I mean. Uh, I think that inhibits people, and and uh, and they start inhibiting what what they are. Sometimes you inhibit how they play, you know. And so, uh, so I, I've always I, and and then I've enjoyed those people because they they're themselves, but they go out and give the effort that you want, and that's that's the key to me. If a guy has he has redeeming value. And we've seen all kinds of guys. And they say some guys are, you know, this good, this or that. But uh, but T.O., uh, he had a great redeeming value. He was a hard worker. I mean, if you if you watch practice, he, he's going full speed. He's on the sideline doing sit-ups <laughs> and push-ups and stuff while he's not in there. I mean, he's, you know, he's a worker. You know, to me, that that that's a redeeming value in someone. You know, it's not – it's not how they talk sometimes or, or you know, even uh, brag about the bragging. It's braggadocious guys or whatever. You know, it's how they work. And, and, and I think the team uh, accepts that, you know. It, it, I mean, so and, – and, and being a part of the team, I think you, you want hard work. So uh, I've, always, I've always made that the, the criteria rather than – uh, what kind of personality we had. Yeah. And I feel like this applies to I mean, not just NFL guys, but high school recruits and, you know, just in terms of practice habits and, and the effort and the competitiveness playing with confidence, you know, like those things just, th those are so important to, to maximizing like your talent. Um, when it comes back to, to the draft, was there a favorite, just sprint to the podium pick that y'all had where the board fell a certain way 
and you had a name on the board that was just staring everybody in the room and y'all just sprinted to the podium. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I laugh about Jerry Jones, you know, because I, uh, it didn't matter if you did or not, you weren't sprinting to the podium with Jerry. Jerry wanted the Dallas Cowboys to be on the full 15 minutes. So you never picked a pick. You know, when they first called out Dallas Cowboys are up, they talked about the Dallas Cowboys. He wanted to talk about the Dallas Cowboys the whole time. And we would hold that pick until we, until we picked it, you know? So, uh, uh, you know, I, we've had a bunch of them over the years. I think, you know, that, that, I, you know, I thought were really good players and, and, and we picked them, uh, uh, and and not always, you know, not always early picks, but and not all of them, you know, not all of them came through either. But but uh, uh, I don't know which one I'd say. Uh, I know Anthony Spencer. I, I loved him uh, uh, with Dallas when when we drafted him, and he turned out to be a really really great player. Uh, but you know, we we picked. Uh, Seth Joyner and and Clyde Simmons and I think the sixth and the eighth rounds in in Philadelphia, you know, and, uh, they were two of my favorite guys that ended out great players. So um, uh, over the years, it's been a lot of guys, and of course, again, I, it hadn't been me picking them either in situations. I mean, JJ Watt. I mean, uh, you know, we we. Uh, we ended up picking him and, and not everybody was for him, but Gary, Gary Kubiak uh, ended up taking him. So, and I still don't know whether he or the general manager made the, made the pick, but, but whoever did did a great job. So, uh, uh, but, uh, but guys we traded for and, and things like that, it's all the same. I mean, you know, just, uh, you think they're going to be good and hopefully they are. And, um, for us, a lot of them have turned out well. So that's been great. Yeah, I think JJ Watt turned out pretty decent. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there wasn't a consensus in the room, is what you're saying. Like, what can we go back there and, and maybe what pushed it over the ledge for y'all to make that pick? Yeah, I mean, we did with with Coop. Uh, uh, they let everybody look at the film, offense and defense a snippet of the film on, on the top guys that we might pick, you know? And so when, when our pick came, they, they let everybody vote and it was 50, 50, you know? And, uh, so, uh, Bobby Greer, one of our scouts, uh, stood up and said, you know, I think he was, uh, he said, I think we ought to take J.J. Watt. And I, I did stand up and say, I think we ought to take J.J. Watt. Other people stood up and said, we shouldn't. So, you know, uh, so, uh, but we ended up take, taking him. Now, we wanted, an, we, we actually wanted an outside backer. Uh, coming in, they were 31st in defense. So, well, I, that was my first year there. So, so we needed defensive players, you know. And uh, actually, the guy Alden Smith was the guy that we liked. Well, he was taken before we, you know, before we got close to us. And so the rumor going around, rumor was that well now we're going to take an offensive player, 
Well, we had the 31st <laughs> I thought we needed defensive players, you know. So I'm uh, so I uh, uh, I, I went to to Gary and them, and I said, "Look, you know, we can move Mario Williams to outside backer and take a defensive lineman. We need defensive players." And so they went for that, and so we ended up going for a defensive player. So, uh, uh, so I was glad they did, and we actually did move Mario outside, and he had, I think he had five sacks in the first five games, but he. He's a 280-pound guy, so, I mean, he was a different guy for outside backer, but he did all right. And, and then uh, then he got hurt, so he didn't play the rest of the year. But uh, but we had uh, we had other guys that came in and played for him and did really well. You will pick somebody from – God, he had long hair, uh, Brooks Reed, I want to say. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. and then yeah. the year after, y'all were able to really – was it the year after y'all got Whitney Merciless, or was it two yeah. years after? the year after, yeah. Okay. Oh, we had Connor Barwin too. Yeah, really, he, yeah. So, uh, so we, yeah, and we went to second in defense of next year, which I think was the best of all time <laughs> for moving from 31st to second. So, uh, I mean, I don't think a team has ever done that. I hope, uh, I don't know of one, but, but anyway, I was proud of that team. What was the challenge you issued that team? Like, as you head into that year, obviously, you know, training camp is is a time where, you know, a lot of it's install for, for the young guys and, and reinforcing stuff. But, you know, I, I feel like that's a, a time that coaches really kind of set the table and really say, okay, these are the expectations. This is what we want out of you guys. Um, how are we able to challenge those guys uh, to go from bottom of the league to top of the league? Well, we had good players, you know. We brought in, like you say, Brooks Reed and, and J.J. Watt. Connor Barwin was there, and, and we moved to a 3-4, uh, which helped us. Uh, uh, and and we brought in – we we, uh, uh, we got a couple of defensive backs, and Jonathan Joseph and, and Daniel Manning, and we picked them up in free agency or paid for them, basically. Now – that was an interesting story in that uh, there was a guy named uh, Anamdi Asamoah who was the number one with the guy out there in free agency. And we were trying to get him. And uh, Vance Joseph, who was coaching with us, was looking at all the defensive backs. And he said, I think Jonathan Joseph is just as good as Anamdi Asamoah. And we can get him and somebody else for – the same money that we're trying to get awesome on. We were trying like heck to get awesome on. And uh, because of the name, you know, and and I'll say this for Vance, he said, I, I think the other guy is just as good, you know. And so we ended up getting two guys that played. So I went to I went to Gary and, and those guys and said, hey, you know, we can get two for, you know, instead of one. You know, we need all we can get. Again, we so uh, so we ended up doing that. And uh, it turned out great for us, and and JJ JJ still played. So I mean, you know, uh, played last year. So I mean, he he played a long time. So he, and was really a good player for us. And Danielle played well for us. I mean, we you know, we added half our secondary. You know. Yeah. And then you know you get a chance to to go with you know over with Vance, and you get over to the Broncos, and, and finally get that that Super Bowl. With uh, with somebody you spent a lot of time with, Demarcus Ware, and um, 
you know, before we let you go, I, I really just want to hear how rewarding it was to win it and, and to, to finally hold up that trophy. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it took a long time, certainly. And, and if you're in it, you realize how hard it is, you know, I guess Belichick doesn't, but, but all the rest of us, <laughs> you know, uh, all, all the rest of us without uh, realize that, that, you know, how tough it is and uh, to win it all. And, and it, it's satisfying in that you're the best. I mean, you, I mean, almost anything you want to, any profession or whatever, you can say, well, you know, I, I, you know, I'm good at this or I'm great at this or whatever, but you're the best when you win the Super Bowl. I mean, no doubt about it. It's like climbing Mount Everest. I mean, you did it, you know, so, uh, you know, it'll always be there. Uh, the great thing is this team will always be together, but we'll always have reunions or whatever and, and have that great feeling again, you know, so uh, that's the neat thing about it. And again, it's about people. Yeah. And, and you've said that about four times on here. Um, yeah. and, and I love that. So, um, when are we dropping this podcast? When are we making this thing official? I know you've been recording for, for a little while. You finally tweeted out something about it back in March, but when are yeah, we going to do this, man? We've done, yeah, we've done 15 episodes, you know, so far. So, um, uh, you know, so I think pretty soon we'll, we'll do it. I, you know, the only thing is Wes, you know, Wes works during the season. So, um, uh, you know, so we'll have to. I, I'm not sure what we'll do with, about that. So we'll see. Sprinkle them in and here and there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just doesn't have time to do it during the season. I know that. I, we knew that going in. So. But uh, my daughter Tracy now she's she's a uh, <laughs> she, she's a lot of fun. So I, I you know I'm thinking about maybe getting with her and uh, talking football because she she knows a little football. And, she's in the dance world but uh, in the Hollywood world but but she she I think she'll be fun on it if, if we utilize her yeah I, I know she's kind of like you know the behind the scenes making it all happen but you know once you hit the season just you and her week to week you know NFL recap shows like why not yeah, yeah that's that's what we're thinking about doing it might be fun no doubt well I appreciate your time this is awesome um if you, if you want to follow Coach Wade Phillips, he's on Twitter, Son of Bum, and he's got his new podcast coming out sometime soon. It's Overtime with Wade and Wes Phillips. Coach, thank you again. Have a, have a great day. All right, you too, Alex. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Good I'll job. See you.